When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If there are certain sounds that you absolutely cannot stand, and when I say cannot stand, I mean like they enrage you. Like they make you want to do things that are very out of character for who you typically are. They make you want to run screaming out of the room or hurt people, or wish death on people, and that's not normally the kind of thoughts or impulses you have, you may have a condition that we call misophonia. I've also heard it pronounced misophonia. I don't technically know which one is correct, um, and I don't know who the authority on that would be, but misophonia is the more common pronunciation of this word that I've heard, so that's the one I'm going to go with for the sake of today's content. Misophonia is also known as selective sound sensitivity syndrome. The literal translation of the word misophonia is actually hatred of sound. And so something I want to get out of the way right away is this is different than just not liking certain sounds. Everybody has sounds they don't like, right? Um, you know, think of things like, it's kind of a generic example, but like nails on a chalkboard, right? Like there are certain sounds that almost nobody likes they're they're pretty universally disruptive to human beings this is not that these are reactions that are actually probably stronger than what most people would react to for something like nails on a chalkboard but they're also to very common typical sounds the most common one by far is chewing or crunching of food like this is the number one thing that most people with misophonia struggle with and again the reaction that you have when you when you hear someone like eating a really crunchy food i'm just going to give an example like think of pretzels for example you know like old dutch like the, the hard mini pretzels super crunchy food right or carrots or something like that even if a person is chewing with their mouth closed, which people don't always do, and is being very conscientious and attempting to be quiet while they're eating, just that closed mouth crunching sound will create a reaction in someone with misophonia that is almost unbearable. And again, when I say unbearable, I don't mean like, oh, they're a little annoyed. I mean, like, a person with misophonia will want to like physically harm someone who is making a repetitive sound over and over and over again. I know I gave one example already, crunching, chewing, um, tapping is a big one, like tapping a pen. Um, it doesn't even have to be human sounds, by the way. Something that I've heard a lot of people discuss, I've made content on this before, and, and I've also heard this from therapy clients, it sounds like um, like dogs' nails on a hardwood floor, for example, which tends to be a very repetitive sound, obviously, especially if a person has a lot of hardwood floor. Just when you hear the same sound over and over and over again, 
there are certain people who it triggers a rage response in. Now, I want to I want to clarify something right here. Misophonia is not a diagnosis. This is not a condition in the DSM that you can currently be diagnosed with, like anxiety or depression, for example. In fact, we are still trying to figure out if misophonia is a condition or if it is a symptom and we're not actually completely sure about that because it seems to co-occur with other mental health conditions and that's why i'm talking about it on the psychology of depression and anxiety because one of the conditions that it seems to have the most overlap with is in fact anxiety so something like varies depending on the study but last number i saw was i think like 60 percent uh 60 of people with misophonia also have an anxiety disorder whether that's generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, there seems to be a very high overlap between anxiety disorders and misophonia. This kind of makes sense too, if you look at what some of the other symptoms of anxiety disorders are. Generalized anxiety disorder in particular has a symptom called somatic symptoms. And somatic symptoms include things like headaches, stomach aches, nausea, muscle tension, sweating, difficulty breathing, racing heart, all of which are related to the functioning of your nervous system. Your nervous system is also part of what processes sound. And so if anxiety affects the functioning of your nervous system, it then does stand to reason that a sensitivity to certain sounds could be related to a person's anxiety. The term misophonia is relatively new. It first started being used around the early 2000s. And so as you can guess by that, th this is a fairly new concept that we don't, we don't completely understand this yet. So a lot of what I'm going to tell you is theory. We don't have a lot of good factual evidence on misophonia. But one thing we do know, or at least that we strongly suspect that we know, is that the sounds that bother a person with misophonia, they seem to trigger the fight or flight response and, and typically more often fight than flight. We don't necessarily know why that is, but there are there are certain sounds that for all human beings trigger the fight or flight response, um, or at least trigger something within that general realm of functioning. For example, the sound of a baby crying, like that's a very specific sound, right? And our brains are more or less pre-programmed to experience immense distress when we hear a baby crying. That's especially true if you're a parent, but um, like if, if you have had a baby, even if you do not currently have babies, like if your kids are older or even grownups, there's something that happens. At least this happens to me. And I've heard lots of other parents, my kids are 10 and six. So like the baby cry sound, I haven't heard that in my own kids in a while. Right. But if I'm out in public, if I'm at like a restaurant or something and I hear a crying baby, there is this reaction that happens inside of me. It's, it's not exactly panic. But it, it's like a readiness. It's like a preparedness. Like, oh, I'm about to have to do something right now. And I get a little bit of adrenaline. And I just I just get very aware and very prepared to take some kind of action. Because for several, several years of my life, that sound meant I got to do something right now. There's a problem I have to solve right now. And so that response is kind of um, still somewhat dormant within me. But we think that people are kind of pre-programmed to respond that way to a crying baby because that like makes us not ignore our babies, hopefully, most of the time. Um, and, and so 
we do have we do have fight or flight responses to sounds. So this is already an established phenomenon. Like that part we know about. And then the theory is that misophonia is essentially a dysfunction of our sound response in our autonomic nervous system, which is what regulates the fight or flight response. And so essentially it, it's a little bit like a trauma trigger, right? So if a person has PTSD, there are certain stimuli and they may even include sounds, but it could also include places, songs, people, uh, like almost anything, right? Anything can be a trigger. And these are generally harmless things that make a person feel incredibly uneasy and sometimes in danger. So we, we already know that sounds can do that. For people with misophonia, what we think is probably happening is that certain sounds are triggering their fight or flight response in their autonomic nervous system in a way that's similar to a trauma trigger in someone with PTSD. And so this is a very, another thing I wanna make very, very clear here. These are involuntary responses, okay? And, and if you're listening to this as a person with misophonia, you already know that. If you're listening to this as a support person, maybe you know or love someone with misophonia and they've asked you to listen to this or watch this and you're trying to understand it, please, 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 please know it's involuntary. They're not just being difficult. They're not just trying to make your life harder. They're not just being a pain in the butt. There's something different inside of them. There's something in their nervous system that processes sound differently. Another way to think of it is we all have we all have a hierarchy for what sounds get prioritized if there are more sounds happening than we can pay attention to at once, which happens fairly often. And you, you may not even notice it because you tune a lot of it out. But there are sounds that when we hear them, they always come to the forefront of our minds. There's also sounds that when we hear them, they we they we don't even notice them like unless someone points them out. To give an example, in my office at work, we pump white noise in through the ceiling for confidentiality to make sure that people can't hear conversations in adjacent offices. I have worked there for almost seven years. I literally do not, I mean, I, I physically hear it. I do not consciously process the white noise. So if I'm walking someone back to my office for the first time and they say, what's that sound? I'm like, what, what sound? Oh, the white noise machine. Cause they're not, they're not used to it. And so they're hearing it for the first time and they sometimes find it really annoying and distracting. So we all have this hierarchy in our minds of what sounds are the most important. And it's not a conscious choice. It's just how your nervous system arranges itself in the world. Something that we think affects people with misophonia is their hierarchy kind of gets flipped around. So like if I'm watching... And by the way, maybe I should have led with this like way earlier. I have misophonia. So does my wife. So does one of our two children. So our house can be an interesting place. We, we, we have a lot of conversations about sounds in our house. Um, I don't know how one of my children escaped it, but that's a whole nother thing for a whole nother day. Um, and so like if, if you and I are watching football, let's say it's football season. So let's go with that. You and I are watching football and you're eating a bag of chips to you, the sound of you eating the chips or like putting your hand in the bag is probably like my white noise machine at work. Like doesn't even register to your brain as being a thing that that is even important or worth paying attention to. My brain shoots that up to the top of my auditory hierarchy. So I can't even pay attention to the game. Like all I can hear is your chips. And I know you're not doing it on purpose. And so then I get this really confusing internal reaction where I simultaneously feel like you're being a jerk 
because you're being loud. And I also feel like I'm being a jerk because I know you're not doing it on purpose. And it creates this really like frustrating chain reaction inside of you. And I, and I think that's part of where the anger comes from. The, the anger is like half at the sound and half at us for like being the only one bothered by the sound. And it's just this really confusing and overwhelming mess of stimuli. Um, now, really quick, I know I've been mostly focusing on this as being a part of anxiety because depression and anxiety are the main areas that we focus on on this podcast. Uh, I, for the sake of being scientifically accurate, though, I do want to mention that uh, there is also a lot of overlap between misophonia and ADHD and, and kind of sort of misophonia and autism, although sensory sensitivities are already a part of autism. So um, it, it's debatable whether that's really a separate thing or not. Like, Personally, I feel like the diagnostic criteria for autism or autism spectrum disorder, I should say, really already covers misophonia because intense sensory reactions are already a part of that diagnosis. And, and sounds are probably the most common one, definitely one of the most common ones. Um, so it's just worth noting. I'm sure what you'd really like to know is what the heck do I do about this? Because like this, again, again, if you don't experience misophonia, this might sound like I'm being overdramatic right now, but I'm not kidding when I say this can really mess up your life because so many of the sounds that trigger this rage reaction are really normal, common sounds. I, I struggled with this a lot in school, especially in college and graduate school, because people would be doing things like, you know, a lot, sometimes those classes are three, four hours long, right? So like people are going to bring snacks, people are going to bring drinks, people are going to get bored and restless and fidgety. And, and, and that's completely understandable. I was also hungry and thirsty and bored and restless and fidgety in those classes. But there were some sounds that people would make that would just like, I couldn't concentrate. I, I am sure I did all right in grad school. I did. I did. shouldn't say that I did good, but I'm sure that this affected my grades at least some of the time because there were certain periods of, of certain classes where I could not hear a word the professor was saying because all I could hear was like the tapping of someone's pencil or the sound of their shoe like hitting the ground because they were doing the shake one leg thing or sometimes people brought gum. That one I feel like is a little insensitive, but that might be the misophonia talking. There's entire classes that all I can remember is the sound like the repetitive sound and not the uh, actual <laughs> like lecture or material. So that's not great. Um, not only that, but like, I'm, I'm not a violent person. I've been in like two, maybe three fights in my whole life. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a person who is prone to violence or rage, but I have like tried to psychically kill people because of misophonia. And, and I wish I was joking. And I know that's a little funny to say out loud, but I'm not kidding. Like I've been sitting there thinking like, I wish that person would just die right now because the sound that they are making is so unbelievably, I, I don't even know what words to use to describe it. Honestly, there, there's nothing else that feels quite like it. Um, like I, I had a hard time being around certain members of my family for a long period of time because I got a couple loud eaters in my family. You know who you are. <laughs> um, I had a problem in a in a dating relationship once with a person who just, and again, like I, I was going to say was not conscientious, but at the same time, like that, that's maybe not fair for me to say because these aren't things that bother most people, right? And so 
it it's such a frustrating dynamic to manage because it simultaneously seems like both people are being unreasonable and nobody is being unreasonable because they're normal sounds they're they're really not that avoidable but but they also kind of are like you don't have to be loud all the time anyway i'm not I'm not going to get sidetracked by morality. This will be a one hour podcast. If I do this, I was supposed to be talking about treatments right now. And I did a terrible job of that. So I'm going to just kind of wrangle myself back to talking about treatment here. Um, Bad news. There isn't one. I mean, that's kind of true. And I'm sorry, that's not funny. It sucks. I know. Um, Kind of true and kind of not true. So there is no direct at this point. And remember, this is pretty new, right? So this could all change in the future. There's no current direct treatment for misophonia. The strategies that people, therapists at least, generally apply are, here's one that really makes me mad, okay? But this is one you'll see if you Google it. Know and avoid triggers. (laughs) Knowing your triggers is pretty easy because you'll know when something makes you feel this way because you will try to kill the person doing it with your mind. Maybe, maybe that's just me. But you'll at least think about it. So knowing your triggers is not, thats it's not difficult. You'll know. You'll know what your triggers are. Avoiding them is often impossible. Like, don't be around people who are eating. I mean, how are you going to do that? Even if you tried, let's say you tried to do that. So let's say you eat every meal a day alone and you never go to a restaurant. You never go to a cafeteria. You never go to a coffee shop. You never go to a party. Because I'm like, you never go to a birthday party, never go to a Super Bowl party. I mean, realistically, how are you going to do that? I mean, you're you're talking about cutting off a lot of life if you do this. And even if you do, there's going to be situations where people bring food to a thing you didn't expect them to bring food to, like a class or a therapy group or work or like food is everywhere. You can't avoid food and people are eating it all the time. So I, I don't find that to be a viable strategy some people i've only experienced this a few times in a few really egregious moments some people are triggered by breathing how are you going to avoid people who are breathing like not everyone is a loud breather don't get me wrong but you're going to avoid hearing people breathe how (laughs) so I don't find that to be a very viable strategy for the most part. But another strategy is to treat the underlying condition. And so in order to do that, you got to figure out what the underlying condition is. As we talked about before, we think that it is often anxiety. This actually makes sense to me as well, because I used to have debilitating anxiety. And as I kind of trace my life backwards, I definitely noticed that when my anxiety was the worst, my misophonia was also the worst. Um, I still have misophonia, but it's it's not as nearly as strong as it used to be. And it does seem like, if I kind of look back, the severity of my misophonia does seem to correlate pretty well as I move my hands in a way that doesn't correlate at all. Ignore the hand movement and just listen to my words. Um, my anxiety and my misophonia do seem to correlate pretty well with one another. Like as one would get worse, another would get worse, as one would get better, another would get better. So I do think there's a lot of validity to that, but that assumes that you can successfully treat the underlying condition. Getting effective treatment for anxiety is not always the easiest thing in the world to do. So that being said, I have three other ideas for you as far as treatment options go. 
One is hierarchical exposure therapy and, or, or exposure and response prevention, ERP. And so this is very similar to um, how people treat obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. It's also somewhat similar to how we treat phobias or PTSD in some cases, which is you make you take a certain category. So let, let's just stick with food, right? Some food sounds probably trigger an extreme response for you. Some moderate, some mild, and maybe some not at all. They don't bother you. So if you were doing exposure therapy for misophonia, and I have successfully done this with people, this is not, disclaimer, this is not an empirically validated treatment because there are no empirically validated treatments for misophonia because it's too new. Okay, so this is just, this is anecdotal. I have had some success personally and professionally with exposure therapy for misophonia. Did I say anhedonia earlier or did I make that up? If I said anhedonia earlier, that was supposed to say misophonia. They kind of sound similar and I talk about these things all day long. So sometimes they run together in my brain a little bit. We are talking about misophonia, which is sound sensitivity. Exposure therapy for misophonia, I have definitely seen it work. And so what you do is you set up this hierarchy of like lower to higher intensity. And then you intentionally put yourself in situations that trigger lower intensity reactions while using coping skills. And so what coping skills work, again, is going to depend on what we think your misophonia comes from. If we think it's part of your anxiety, then those are going to be anxiety reduction techniques, whether that's Cognitive techniques, deep breathing, progressive muscle relaxation, skillful distractions, mindfulness techniques, like take your pick, you know, there's tons of different things you could try. But the idea essentially is that by going from low to high, you build up a tolerance in much the same way someone with phobia of public speaking, for example, would start by practicing in front of the mirror and then practice in front of one person and then two and then four, you know, and whatever, and eventually they can like teach a class or something like that. It's the same basic idea. Um, this also, I know I mentioned that I've had some luck with that professionally. Obviously I can't share details on that. Personally, I can say, you know, having young kids and dogs and cats, like they make sounds and they're not really going to be able to not, you know, like it, especially when they're babies, it's, it's not realistic to say like, hey, that sound enrages me. Please don't do that to like a nine month old. I mean, that's obviously not going to work. And so I've got some involuntary exposure therapy. I do think that has helped me though. I, I do think exposure helps. There's a fine line because if you're like bombarded by it all the time, I don't think that's good for you. Um, it needs to be you know, stepwise, low intensity to high intensity, there needs to be breaks, you need to be able to escape it, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But exposure, I think does help. I've also noticed that sleep hygiene and physical activity seem to be really beneficial as well. Physical activity in particular, and I know I just did a video with, about that. I, I, I don't want to become known as the therapist who just always tells everybody to work out all the time. But it goes back to the idea that this is probably related to your nervous system. Being physically active in a, in a regular and pretty routine manner does have a lot of beneficial impacts on the nervous system. It helps us feel more calm, more relaxed. It decreases our appraisal of stressors. It helps us get out a lot of excess nervous energy. And so movement, regular movement, does really help your nervous system functioning. And there is some very preliminary, but pretty promising evidence that does suggest that regular physical activity can decrease symptoms of misophonia.
The last area I want to talk about, and I know I touched about on this a little already, but I just want to talk about dealing with misophonia relationally, because this can, this can really drive your relationships apart. Um, like from either end, it's, you know, as the person with misophonia, you, and, and, and if you're not, if you're not that person, this is going to sound exaggerated, but this, this is true. You feel like you're under assault by people. It feels like an auditory assault on your system and being like, okay, I gotta be really careful with how I say this. Cause I don't want it to sound wrong, but like when you feel like your senses are being assaulted by like a friend or, or a romantic partner, that's a horrible experience. And it can make you, it can start to make you resent that person. But that person can also start to resent you because to a person who does not have misophonia, it seems so ridiculous. So this is, I honestly think the biggest issue with misophonia is relationally. I am not going to act like I have all the answers. I solved my problem by also marrying a person with misophonia. So we both get it. But if you don't have that option, um, and there's pros and cons to that too. I think a really important starting point is, first of all, you, as the person with misophonia, you have to know what this is. You have to know this is a real thing with a name. You have to be confident in, in this being an actual medical thing and not just you being a spaz, because that's not what it is. But it doesn't matter if I know that. You need to know that, because you need to be able to hold that boundary in your relationship and articulate that to your partner. So that's probably step one, right? Step two is just both both sides need to be able to compromise, okay? The person who does not have misophonia needs to understand that this is real. I, I know I've said that several times now, but it, it, it's probably the most important point I'm going to make today. It's real. It's involuntary. It's not exaggerated. In fact, I, I would bet money that it is the opposite. And if you know someone with misophonia, the reactions that you see in them are actually probably like, five to 10% of what they actually feel inside. So not only is it not exaggerated, it is substantially downplayed. And it's really important for you to understand that although it might look like they're flying off the handle left and right about these sounds, they are holding it in more than you could possibly imagine. They, they are doing everything in their power to not have this be a thing. I promise you, I promise you, you only see it when it has crossed their threshold and they can no longer bear it. So just both sides being able to compromise, right? Like as the person with misophonia, if you just know that your partner understands and is trying to be mindful of their noise level, that can help tremendously because feeling like people don't care or don't notice the effect they're having on you makes it 10 times worse for some reason. And I don't know why. I just know that it does. And I bet you know what I'm talking about. It, it just does. If you know they're trying, even if they try unsuccessfully, it still helps somehow. I don't understand the mechanisms of that. I just know that it's true. Um, and then, yeah, just finding compromises. Maybe there are situations where one partner wears noise-canceling headphones, or maybe there's certain foods that one partner will leave the room to eat. You know, uh, Ultimately, you guys got to navigate how you want that to look. But Knowing what it is, knowing that it's real, giving it a name, talking about it, studying it, understanding it. I think these are the most important things that you can do. Lastly, I will say, if you are a person with misophonia and you struggle to explain this to other people in your life who you need to be understood by, 
whether that's your partner, your parents, or your bestie, or whoever it may be, please feel free to send them this a link to this video, this podcast, whatever format you're watching it on. Um, if you are listening to the podcast, please know this is also available in a YouTube video. I know sometimes it's easier to link to YouTube videos than podcasts. Um, I hope that as someone who both understands as much as is understood about the science and the physiology of misophonia, but also someone who suffers from it personally, I can articulate things in a way that hopefully people are able to understand, even people who don't experience it. And I, I think that people just listening to this content, it will help them understand you and help them understand your needs. So please send this to anyone who you think needs to understand more about misophonia. Let me be your spokesperson if you have a hard time doing it because it's kind of my job and I do it all day long. So I'm more than happy to fill that role for you. I really hope this was a helpful video. If it was, please think about leaving the podcast a review, subscribing to the YouTube channel or doing whatever it is that you do. And I will see you next time. Take care.